0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I sure hope you enjoyed our opening song by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore. It's called Clarion Call, and you can go ahead and download load that on any of your favorite, uh, favorite uh, music platforms if you'd like. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks has always been about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to talk with people in the trenches that really know what the heck is going on and what is important, uh, what has been important to them and what is important to others as well. And so uh, you can call in, because this is a live show today, and the number is 323-870-4602. That's 323 323- Eight seven zero four six zero two. And for our regular listeners, uh, my old tribe out there, uh, again, every show I have to say thank you. I am just so grateful for your likes, your clicks, your shares on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Building this sense of community has really meant a lot to me and to so many others who have joined us. And I really think that's the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. Keep in mind, all of our shows are archived, so you can watch uh, or listen to the shows uh, for audio shows. We do some video ones as well, um, anytime you like. And before I introduce our guest today, we are going to be talking about a daughter's life in the A-Zone. I would like to give a shout out to a few organizations. So I want to start out with the Memory Cafe directory because I just believe in them so much. They are a place where people with dementia and their care partners can um, meet peers, uh, develop a sense of community, and really truly discuss anything and learn to live graciously alongside this disease instead of becoming it. Now, I facilitate um, three cafes, Um, two of them are with Arthur's Senior Care. And I do those on the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at 2 p.m. Eastern, so that's 1 p.m. Central, uh, noon Mountain Time, and 11 a.m. Pacific. I also do one on the third Wednesday of each month at 1 o'clock with Artist Senior Living, and that is – that is called the Artist Way Memory Cafe. Just reach out to me, and I will get you information on on all of those uh, cafes. Or you can just go to Memory Cafe Directory, look for the Cafe Connect button, and it'll pop you right over to about a hundred uh, cafes now. Are Virtual, and so you don't have to be in Minnesota where I am to join our our cafe. I also want to just uh, announce because many of you might not have heard yet, but we did launch uh, the Memory Map, which is a global resource directory that serves those living with dementia, their care partners, as well as individuals and organizations trying to assist them. You can go to memory cafe uh, or i'm sorry memory map ah! I'm getting my M's and my D's all mixed up here. You can go to DementiaMap.com for more information there. Uh, We just launched over the the holidays, and we would love you to join us or just go use the map. There's lots of good information, and there'll be more people onboarding um, each day as we move forward. There's also a calendar of events there that might be of interest to you. Uh, let's see. Coral Health is still giving away their two music apps. One is Music First. The other is Coral Faith. And you can go to coralhealth.com. That's C-O-R-O health.com for more information. We're going to hear from the foot bar walker and we will be right back. Introducing the life-changing footbar walker. I'm Peggy from Danville,
1: Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The footbar walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000.
0: thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker?
1: Do I ever. I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker.
0: Well, welcome back, everyone. I want to introduce you to Peggy Sweeney McDonald. Uh, She's an actress, an author, a producer, a speaker, and a writer. She is also the host of Life in the A-Zone, a storytelling podcast series where she chronicles her bittersweet journey of moving home to Louisiana after her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. The podcast is available on basically all your basic music platforms there, and also on YouTube. Um, Peggy is the author of Meanwhile, Back at Café du Monde, and Life Stories About Food by Pelican Publishing, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So welcome, Peggy. How are you doing today? I'm great. Happy New Year, Lori. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well I'm excited to have you on the show. Um I I love it when people kind of go through the trenches with this and then just don't push the knowledge that they've gained away and try to you know move on with life but as they're moving on with life they're also trying to uplift others who have gone through it. So I appreciate the work that that takes uh, cuz I know I I know from a personal standpoint that's how I got in this space otherwise uh I, I never would have left left uh, residential real estate. Now, I mentioned in your um, in your intro that your mom had dementia, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about your own family and and circle of of friends. Have you been touched by other family members or people that you know with dementia as well?
1: Yes. Well, the first kind of family member was my um, father-in-law. My husband's dad was diagnosed, and, wow, it was back, I guess, um, like 2012 or maybe a little before that, and we were in L.A. We lived in L.A., and he was in New York, and, you know, we I remember going to visit and staying with his mom when she had had a stroke and helping with her and going with taking her to see him, and then he was in a nursing home, and, you know, this was had been such a vibrant man, and um, really a New Yorker who, you know, always had something to say, and he, as he, he was diagnosed, and then he got really quiet, you know, um, he had come to my husband's 50th birthday in L.A., and we had noticed then that he, had, and this was before we knew, um, that he wasn't as you know vocal or as boisterous as he used to be he just kind of got quiet and and just kind of just was there but not the way he was because he had a big personality so then he was diagnosed and um, his mom really took care of him until she could no longer he had fallen down and in the shower and she couldn't get him out and And finally, he had been taken to the hospital and then was moved to um, a nursing home. So we had seen the progression and how horrible the disease was and had seen how he, you know, just went down and down and down until he was just like slumped over in a wheelchair and had, you know, was just, it was so sad. And then he passed away from from Alzheimer's. So then, a couple of years later, we had noticed my mom, because my parents and my sisters all live in in Baton Rouge, and I had left Baton Rouge when I graduated from LSU years and years ago. So um, I would hear from my sisters, or when I'd go back to visit and stay with my parents, we would just notice really how odd and strange my mom was. And um, I was hearing stories. My sisters would call me and tell me, you know, what had been, what mom had done, and we just really knew something was wrong so I think we were in denial for a long time we didn't want to accept it and finally I was coming back for Easter in April 2016 Was coming back to visit and go to a wedding my cousin's wedding and my sister said you know when you're here there's going to be an appointment for a neurologist we all need to go so me and my three sisters and my dad and my mom we all went to the neurologist and that's when she was officially diagnosed with Alzheimer's and the same day, that afternoon, my husband called um, from L.A. and told me he had been laid off from his job as a manager of a stock brokerage firm. So we, um, that one day kind of changed our whole life, and when my husband called to tell me, he goes, I guess we're moving to Louisiana, because we knew how hard it was for him when his dad passed away and you know, was struggling with Alzheimer's in New York, how hard it was not to be there. And Mm -hmm. I had told my husband, you know, that if my mom was diagnosed, I really wanted to be of service to my parents, and it was um, time to move home. And so it was a a big decision, and that was the beginning of my story. Um, In fact, that is the decision, episode one in my podcast, and it was all about, you know, my mom being diagnosed, all of us not walking out of that that, uh, doctor's appointment and just like, you know, just in shock and not really saying anything to each other because we were just in shock. And and then um, the whole process of, like, wrapping my head around move, going back to L.A. and selling our condo and uprooting our life and moving home to Louisiana after 36 years to be here. And we moved in with my parents, so we really lived it firsthand for three years before she passed away.
0: It was wow. a tough journey. That is a that is a big big uh, life change um, on multiple levels. With that, how did the two of you, just your your husband and yourself, um, cope with with making that decision? Or was it just so obvious with with two major changes hitting at the same time that you really didn't question it? Yes,
1: you know, I was an event producer, a meeting and event producer at my own company, and that business had really gone down a lot because people weren't doing the big corporate meetings anymore. And and I just felt this pull to, to move home as I saw my parents get older. And, um, you know, it just you finally, I guess, you know, when you get older, you realize life is short. And my parent, my husband lost his mother 11 days before his father died. Um, and so I had seen him grieve and not know how to, you know, to help him. Um, it was pretty, you know, I just didn't know. And so when we, we knew this was happening with my, my mom, we just knew, I just knew my dad would need support. And mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to be here. Um, I had been gone for so long that I missed so many good years with my mom. Uh, but they did come to visit all the time, and I was, of course, visiting in Louisiana. But I think I just really knew in my heart that I just, I'm, I'm kind of tearing up, that I wanted that time with her, even though it was going to be a struggle, but I needed to be here as the oldest daughter who had, you know, lived my dreams and left after I graduated from LSU and moved to Houston and then to New York where I met my husband and then to New Orleans for a while and then out to L.A. for 19 years. I just knew that it was just time to come home. And you know what they say, there's no, no, there's no place like home. And when your family is in this kind of crisis and emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, I mean, its it just zaps everybody, and you really need each other. You need that family unit, and you all need to jump in. And when we moved home, we had put our stuff in storage in L.A. and just moved back thinking we were going to get our own place um, in Baton Rouge or in New Orleans. But once we got here, we just saw, you know, living with my parents the first few weeks, we just saw how my dad needed help and how out of control it it was dealing with my mom. It was just so difficult um, that we needed to be here, so we we never left, and we still, we're still here. My mom died. A little over – it was a year ago in July, July, so it's been since July 2019. And we still live with – my dad's 85 years old, and we still live here with him. And our stuff's still in storage, and our life still feels like it's in flux. But um, (laughs) we really found out what's important, what really is important in life, especially now during this COVID, you know, this pandemic. It's like what's really important is family and love.
0: It's um – as complicated as it is, it gets really simple on some levels too. If you just, if you are open to that and just seeing the, the beauty of the the, the relationships and just all those little teeny things, I think that sometimes we we forget about, and um, or we or we overlook with that. How did your dad feel about in your mom in, in terms of you guys moving in with them? Were they excited about that, or some uh, people get she a little apprehensive?
1: Yes, yeah, so excited! In fact, I just found the poster that she made the day we arrived, and it was crazy because we—I don't know if you remember—in 2016, August 2016, there was the great flood of Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. and we arrived that Thursday night, and that flood happened that weekend. So we moved here, and when we got here. It had started raining when we cro- we drove across country, and as we crossed the state line from Texas to Louisiana, it started raining, and it did not stop. And my mom had this poster made, and it was hanging on the wall, and she was so excited. She was having a party, you know, a welcome-back party for me. And Jimmy, that Saturday night, and, of course, all that had to be canceled because it started raining and flooding, and um, it was just a, a crazy time. I mean, I felt like we could not really – feel sorry for ourselves that we left our life and all our friends and our beautiful condo and our total totally had left our life in LA to move here and then I you know all my parents older friends live, who still lived in our old neighborhoods in Baton Rouge they all lost their homes I mean it was just everywhere you look there was devastation and so it was it's kind of like a metaphor of like our life was blown up everybody's life was blown up in baton Rouge at that time and it was just a, a crazy time to move back but that crazy time is when you know we saw how off my mom was and um mm-hmm. and we had to I, actually we live the amy rivers behind my parents house they have a really big house and so we have a little den upstairs where my husband has his own TV room and we have, you know, rooms upstairs. So we kind of, um, there's enough room here for all of us. And they were very, my mom was so excited. She's like, you know, y'all can stay as long as you want. And my dad too. We, they were so grateful to have, you know, their oldest daughter home after all these years. But it was um, a really stressful time with, you know, life in Baton Rouge because of seeing all these people lose everything. And, so it really just kind of made it even more it amplified everything um of like we're here for a reason and we actually had to leave the house as we thought it was going to flood the amy River was coming up to our, our backyard and our back deck and we had to like leave and go to my sister's house and it was just a, a really crazy couple of days but through that those days we saw how odd my mom's behavior was how combative and angry she was and she was just not the sweet southern belle <laughs> that you know we grew up with and she was would give my dad such a hard time and it was just like this was so unfair to watch mm-hmm. you know him struggle and it was just like okay I think we need to We need to stay and we need to be here. So kind of made the decision for us that, you know, this is what you signed up for, Peggy, and this is what you got to do. And there were so many days, Lori, when I was like, just can I just get in my car and drive back to California and get our stuff out of storage and (laughs) move into an apartment? I don't know if I can do this. Emotionally, it was so hard. And my husband would just like, you know, talk me off the edge and say, remember, why we came. We didn't come here for big jobs or we didn't come here to, you know, have a big social life. We came here to be of service to your parents. Remember, that's what you said you wanted, to be of service to your parents.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I learned a lot of lessons, a lot, a lot of um, compassion and really trying to be grateful on every day that, you know. And now, like I said, look back and I think, oh, I would take one of those really bad days if my mom just stayed with her.
0: hmm Yep, I I totally get that. My mom had dementia for 30 years, and although I didn't move in with them, they moved in with us for a little while. My mom and my dad, my dad had brain cancer, too, um, while he was alive for four and a half years. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, it it was one of those things people would look at you like, what are you doing? You know, and it's like, how can I not do this? I mean, she really gave her life. To raise those kids, you know, it's like this yeah. is deserved, but you know, not everybody's set up to do that. Like my my brothers weren't, you know, they um, they just emotionally weren't in that zone. And you know, you've got to really have your spouse on board too if you're if you're married or in a relationship, or that can affect that as well. So there's so many different repercussions. So it's nice that your your husband was on board. Now, I know things transitioned, and then you had to make a decision about could you really care for your mom at home, even though it was, you know, you, your husband, and your dad. And um, people who haven't been through this sometimes will look through the window and go, well, how can three people not care for one? (laughs) It's really easy. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, my sister Shannon, she's the attorney, so she's like the voice of reason. So she had been campaigning for us to move Mom um, to a memory care facility because you know she she knew how hard it was. But you know, we we're just I couldn't imagine. I just couldn't imagine that day that we moved her. I just. I was just like, no, we're not ready. No, Mom's not ready. No, we're not ready. You know, Dad and I Mm -hmm. weren't ready. Um, We didn't think she was ready, but I really seriously think we weren't ready. Um, It got to be where it was impossible. Like, she wouldn't take showers. She dressed inappropriately. She would walk out of the house. We had to set the alarm so that it beeped every time the door opened or closed. And mm-hmm. she'd start walking away, and she would threaten my dad, and um, you know she said she'd call the police. She's gonna call it, tell the neighbors that he was abusing her, and go call the police. And oh, it was just every day I would, because I was working this um, part time and event planning job, and when I'd come back in the afternoon, you know I'd work a couple days a week, and I'd come home, and he, he would say uh, he'd be sitting in the chair, and she'd be locked in her. She would lock him out of the bedroom, and. He'd say, "This was not a good day. It was not a good day." And and um, finally, she picked up the the fireplace shovel and threatened to to hit him because she didn't believe this was her house anymore. So every time they would go to lunch or something, he'd come home and she'd say, "Oh no, we're not going back to this house. This we can't go in this house. These people will be so upset that we're in this house." And he, he would say, back, "You know, this is our house, Sherry." And she just wouldn't believe it and so she just finally you know she was like take me home take me home i want to go live with my mother i want to get my own apartment i want a divorce and then one day she just she said you know you're lying to me about this being our house and she picked up the shovel and threatened to hit him and once that happened i remember just going up to my to the bedroom with my cell phone and, and texting my sisters and i didn't even want to push send because i knew that was it i knew mm-hmm. that was pushed in and told my sister over, she would be, they would move her, you know, the decision would be made to move her into a memory care. And of course, you know, we were worried about him. Like if she had, if he had been taking a nap in his chair and she had hit him, I mean, she could have, you know, I can't even imagine what would have happened, but we would have felt really bad. And it just, the toll it was taking on my dad, just watching him, just like he was, you know, just, just really struggling, and physically he needed a, a knee replacement surgery. So, I mean, he need we needed to take care of him too, and he needed to take care of himself, and I needed to take care of myself. You know, it got to be where I was just emotional wreck, and had gained a lot of weight. I wasn't working out. I was, you know, I felt just you no know, like there was no hope because my life was so all about the you know living in the A zone living in the Alzheimer's zone and it just got to be where it was so unbearable each day mm-hmm. was such a challenge so the day we we know we moved her um to it was you know that was pretty much a very tough decision and one of the hardest days of my life um and my sister Shannon and her husband you know took mom to the memory care under the guise of like we're taking her to brunch and we had already moved in. You know, that week we were going to the room and fixing it up and putting pictures and making it pretty. And it was just, you know, it was just, it was a hard hard time. But immediately, you know, she got the care she was she needed. I mean, she was getting bathed regularly and. You know, they were making her eat, and so we saw. And she had activities because one of the things my mom was bored to tears. Lori, I don't know if you're my Mm -hmm. my mom was like a two year old that needed to be entertained. You know, fifteen hours a day, she'd be Mm -hmm. going, "What are we doing? What are we doing? Where are we going?" we got to do something. i got to do something. Let's go to lunch. Let's go to lunch. Uh, Dad would bring her to lunch, and then they'd come home. She goes, when are we going? Where are we going? What are we doing? I'm not going to sit here all day. So having her in a memory care where there was constantly activities and keeping her busy, that was just, you know, the grace of God. that, You know, she was in a, a great place, and she was getting the help she needed, and that um, that just, you know, made our hearts feel, like, whole again, you know, because we just couldn't do it. You know, it comes to a point where you just realize, I can't do this anymore,
0: mm-hmm. as hard
1: as it is, and we were lucky that we were able to get her out. But She only lasted five and a half months in memory care. She went down fast. Um, you know, she did okay for a couple of months, and then, you know, she really started losing weight, stopped eating, and she went down Really fast, um, mm-hmm. and you know I'm so grateful. You know that she didn't struggle for a long time, especially now with COVID. If she had still been around in the memory care during this time, and us not being able to go see her, uh, I can't imagine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just can't imagine how tough that that is for families, and how 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 tough it is for the people in the patients in the in memory care, the Alzheimer's patients. I mean, they don't know, and they'll not have family being able to to come and be there and be in front of them. I just can't imagine. So we're very grateful that she did, um, you know, have a, a transition. And I know she's in a better place. And we're still learning from her. I still, you know, get lessons from her all the time. And I think that she helped me write these stories mm-hmm. that are in my podcast. I really do.
0: No, I I totally get that because my mom's been gone since um 2014 and i feel her presence all the time or hear her voice or just feel guided by her um and and surrounded with her and i think she lasted 30 years because there was a lot to teach you know and oh I think she-
1: absolutely my you know it's it's weird because when she passed i mean we're so grateful she wasn't suffering anymore but you know it's just that loss is just You know, the grief just, I don't know. Everybody experiences different, but I just wanted to, you know, crawl into bed and never get out. (laughs) But, of course, you have to. You know, I always thought when I lose my mom and my dad, I'm going to be in the fetal position in the corner of my bedroom, hysterical and not be able to move. Well, you have to show up, you know, especially right after. You have to make the plans and the memorial service and her ashes and go through all that and clean out her stuff and but I, it was really a tough um, my husband and i got to go to california and see all our old friends a couple of weeks after we were blessed one of my friends works for an airline and she gave us a couple of, of buddy passes and we were able to go be in california again and be at the beach and rent a mustang convertible and it was just like so healing to see all the people we loved who we hadn't seen in years and and then coming back, I just kind of was in this funk, and I had been thinking the whole time, the, all those years, of the, you know, being here, I th- kept thinking, I need to write write a book about, you know, my journey home to Louisiana and all the lessons I've learned and, and the struggle and the victories. And so I just would look, though, every day at my laptop, and I would think, I need to write today. And, of course, I would like, do anything I could to avoid it. Go eat, Mm -hmm. go cook, go to the grocery store, go for a walk, eat some sugar. I mean, just, you know, just totally would avoid it. And then the Louisiana Book Festival is coming up in November of 2019. And I really believe, because I never really look at the newspaper. My dad still gets the newspaper. And I picked it up and saw the book festival. It's going to be in two weeks. And, I said, oh, look, you know, let me check it out because I had been a presenter at the book festival when my Meanwhile Back at Café Dumont book came out years ago. And I like to go and support the writers, and they also have these classes. So I saw there was a class of memoir a memoir essay writing class for three hours, and I thought, oh, I should go take it. Then I thought, oh, I don't know. Then (laughs) it kept, like, popping up in my mind, and I really believe it was my mom going, go take that class. It will make you feel better, Peggy. You you know, you need to take some actions. I can hear her saying that. You need to do that. So I took the class, and in the class I wrote the first story um, was – the story called the fashion show and it's one of my episodes for the podcast and it was it was just about a morning when my mom i could hear her coming out of her bedroom and i was waiting to see what she had on i was waiting for the fashion show and i described just you know what a morning with her was like and you know, how I was fixing her breakfast. And if I asked her if she was, wanted something to eat, she would say no. So I just would not. I just would go fix her something and bring it to her. And then we'd sit on the couch and we'd watch Today Show and we'd eat our waffles. And and it was just um, the struggle of, like, just being, you know, hour to hour or minute to minute. And when I left that when I read the story to the class, I started crying and I looked up and the the instructor and all the people in the class were crying and the instructor said, Did you just write that, Peggy? I said, Yes. She said, Oh my gosh, you have to write you have to write a book. It's gonna help so many people and you um you have to do this. So I left that day and I have to tell you, Laurie, I felt twenty pounds lighter. I felt like I had a spring in my step. I felt like I had purpose I felt alive again. And I totally believe that was my mom saying, go take that class, because it, that class just changed my life. I started writing these stories and was writing as a memoir. And then when COVID happened, I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, I just didn't have it in me to start querying for a book deal and, and deal with rejection. So I had this idea, maybe I should just like podcast these stories and get them out now because I know from the experience of having a book, it's a long process and it would be like a year and a half to two years before I would ever, you know, hold the book in my hand, much less get it out there. So it's like, you know what, I could podcast these stories. I had no idea. I had heard of, a couple of podcasts in my life and i had no idea what i was doing but um i mentioned it to some girlfriends on july 1st and one of them knew a studio in baton rouge that could help me get it started so i went and taped the first three on my birthday july 21st and it came out the first one came out on july 29th and it's been just like this amazing journey sharing these stories and so many people identify and relate and it's um been just a, a beautiful experience and it's all a gift I think it's all a gift from my
0: mom Hmm. well that's wonderful there's a another podcast I don't know if you've ever listened and actually hers is a video called Dementialand um, uh, with Suska and she talks about her journey with her mom too and she always tells stories but she has visuals to go along with it and they actually working on a, a movie. She's working on a movie with a, um, let's say, German director, um, but really uplifting and, and, you know, kind of puts a funny spin on everything and and really is very transparent herself in terms of their relationship and what had to change to make it work and why it was so beneficial. And, um, you know, there's always these, you know, sweet, sweet stories have such um, – powerful powerful lessons wrapped in each and every one of them Um, as do as do yours I I know uh, people say that about mine as well I had to chuckle when you were talking about you know going to a writing class because I did the same thing I've just not written the book yet I've got one story that's uh, pretty much ready to go Um, but with everything else I do I just haven't had the time and and I know
1: them. it's so, It's hard, isn't it? Well, mm-hmm. I know because I want to go back and finish the book, and because there was a, a lot in the when I was writing the memoir, it was a whole section like after the decision when my mom was diagnosed that day, how I went back to California and closed out our life there and our journey driving across country. I mean, I I left all that out because I wanted to keep that for the book, and you know, there's a lot more that I didn't podcast, and I really that is like on my. 2021 intention list of like going Mm -hmm. back and getting this all together and get a book proposal and try to query it because I'd like to, to get it out there. But you know, the thing is with the the podcast, you're right. It's just like a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. you know, I now, I only went to a studio to help me tape the first three and then a friend of mine, my friend Nancy who's a voiceover artist. She told me, you know, You can do it in your own closet. Just go get the, you know, the microphone. She helped me order a microphone off Amazon, and she helped me with the software, the Audacity, so that I now, like, tape it in this big, we have this big, like, walk-in closet, so I turned it into my little studio, and I come in here. And so the stories I had written months and months ago, so I'll pull out a story, and they're all kind of in in order i knew what the order was and even though i didn't write them in order and i would i pull out a story and i'll look at it and i'll add some stuff to it and change it a little bit and then i'll go in and record it over like two nights and then i usually spend about a day editing you know cut and pasting the best takes and then i send it to a a sound editor in bulgaria who puts the music and the intros and sound effects in it and then mm-hmm. sends it back to me and then i upload it and then once you have it, once it's out there you have to start marketing it so it is a lot of work you know and i took a break over the holidays um so i'm back to doing episode 20 which is the episode when my mom passes and i had such resistance i have never i haven't i didn't Write that episode yet? So I've just been writing it this week, and it feels weird to have taken a break from my podcast for three weeks. But I kind of wanted to just really enjoy the holidays this year because last year the holidays were so depressing. After Mm -hmm. my, you know, my mom went here for the first time last year, so this year I was like, okay, I just need to be present and enjoy the holidays and decorate the house this year, which we didn't last year. And and so I took this break, and I've just finally sat down and started writing this next episode. And then I need to think about what's next, you know, because I think, what, well, as you know, once you're, once you've been touched by dementia or Alzheimer's, it's always part of who you are and how you look at life. Mm-hmm. And going forward, I'll, you know, I'll still share my life stories, and you know, my mom's influence and the influence of Alzheimer's on on my heart and on my everything, mentally, emotionally, you know, physically and spiritually, it's all going to be a part of how I live my life and how I share my stories.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, stories are so powerful. When you talk to, you know, about the class reacting to your story, you know, in tears, again, um, stories are so powerful and they just kind of, I think they just flow out of us and they, they heal us, but they also, um, get people to change their uh, perception of what dealing with this is really, really like. And uh, again, I had the same thing where everyone was crying going, Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. And And that's, what's so weird. It's like when you, you know, I just think, um, of course, I have so much fear. Like, oh, I'm not a good writer, and you know, no one's going to listen to what I want to say. And then when I get like all these, all this feedback, and and especially because you know, you know, you're going to get some good feedback from your friends and family, but when strangers, you know, write little um, messages on my my podcast or give me reviews on on Apple Podcast and. And these are like strangers that I don't know that are so identifying and relating and and saying they're laughing and they're crying and they've been touched. And it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. My dad was talking to someone, because my dad's still a headhunter at 85 years old. He still places people in the industrial sales industry. And he talked to someone he hadn't talked to in years. And he got off the phone the other day and he said, you know, I was talking to this guy in Kentucky that I knew years ago in the business, and his wife is, has been listening to your podcast. And I said, well, Dad, how does she find out? He goes, I don't know, maybe from my Facebook or LinkedIn or something. So, And he said, um, you know, her, her mother has Alzheimer's, so she's so identifying. And then my dad was walking in the neighborhood, um, and he saw a neighbor, and she reached out to me on Facebook like an hour later and said, oh, my gosh, your dad just told me about the podcast Life in the A-Zone. And I, I, I went on and listened to it. And, oh, my gosh, Peggy, my mom has dementia, alcohol-induced dementia. And she said, you know, she's in memory care. And I just listened to the first two ep- Episodes and they help me so much. I'll continue to listen to them. So just those things, those moments are when you know, wow, I was supposed to do this, and this is such a gift to share my story because it is helping other people. But it really has helped us. I have to say, you know, my my dad never cried until I started reading him my stories. I would go write them at a coffee shop, and then I'd come home and cook dinner, and then. After dinner, I'd tell my husband and my dad, do y'all want to hear the story I wrote? And I'd read it to them, and they'd both cry, and I would cry. And then now, like, you know, we listen to the podcast, and my dad cries, and he laughs, and he cries, and he laughs. It's like it it unleashed his emotions that were all pent up. And so I think it's so healing for, you know, all of us, all of our family, you know, listening to these stories.
0: Yeah, I I so agree. And I think, you know, those authentic voices where it's not staged and, you know, I know like with my podcast and even in the intro, I screwed up, but it's just about being authentic. People want to hear real stories from real people. I think uh, people are getting tired of being sold stuff or being told what to do. They want some truth. Oh,
1: yes. And, and that is, it, that's what it's all about right now. Being authentic—that's what I said. You know, life in the A zone can now be life in the authentic zone because it's <laughs> all about sharing from your heart and not being polished. I think you're right. People don't want that sugar coated, and and that's the thing when I, when I'm when I'm taping my stories from for life in the A zone, and I start crying, mm-hmm. and I'll stop, you know, and and to go on to the next section and. I'll think, Oh well maybe let me do it again and not cry and then I'm like, you know what? You're you committed to being Peggy, you committed to being honest, emotionally raw and putting Mm -hmm. out there the good, the bad and the ugly, including your ugly cry. (laughs) (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I leave it in there and one time I like I Oh, it's just too much. I'm really like I'm really a mess, you know, you can hear it in my voice, I'm like ready to sob. And I had my husband listen to it, and I had taped it without the tears. And mm-hmm. he's like, "What are you doing? No, you have to, you have to use the first take. <laughs> that's, that's how you feel, and that's what people want to hear, and that's what people relate to. That, you know, that they can feel like this, and you give them permission to feel like. Because I say, you know, sometimes I just hated, I just hated Alzheimer's. I would just go out, walk out to the lake, and just scream. I can't mm-hmm. take this anymore. And, you know, I, I, I put that in my podcast when I'm just like, I just can't do this anymore. What am I doing? I just want to get in the car and drive away. Yeah. I can't handle this. And I don't I didn't have kids. I don't know how to be a caregiver. My husband and I have 15 nieces and nephews. We don't have our own children. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I've never been there for anybody except myself and my husband. <laughs> Mm -hmm. We've been quite selfish our whole lives This will humble you really fast Alzheimer's is the great humbler
0: Well, and I think, you know, I I applaud you for crying I mean, I've been doing this, gosh, 11 years now And I still get choked up on other people's stories Or some of my own at times Because you don't know when those emotions are going to crop in And pop up, you know It's never really over with it, you know, because those memories are so intense and they're so precious. And depending on how much sleep you got, <laughs> you know, and how much is on your plate and your overall emotional well-being, and are you feeling supported? And you know, what other stressors are you under? All of those things come into play in your life, and they can absolutely. trigger something. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. <laughs> and you know, you have to take care of yourself because. And that's the thing caregivers forget to take care of themselves because they're taking care of somebody else and mm-hmm. you know I just wrote an article for um Jean Terbeck has uh, Alex Trebek's wife has Inside Wink it's an online magazine and I knew her when I lived in LA and she asked me to write an article about how to, how I created and, and how I was inspired to do life the podcast life in the A zone and and to give some tips on mm-hmm self-care tips for the caregiver and of course my you know my fear is like oh, I'm not an expert I can't give any tips and then I thought about what were the things that did keep me going
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I now when I look back I's like oh wow I wish I'd done those those things more mm-hmm. so uh you know like take time in the morning and evening to pray or meditate even if it's for five minutes three minutes you know there's so many guided meditations on youtube that are like you know three minutes four minutes five minutes ten minutes you can use when you go to sleep at night or first thing in the morning before you get out of bed and then keep in a gratitude journey you know write journal journal you know write down three things every day that you're grateful for and sometimes it's really hard to find three things. You know, I'm breathing today. (laughs) I had a good dinner. You know, I got to, my mom smiled at me and I got a big hug from her. Uh, Yeah, it's, and getting outside and walking and getting some sunshine even if it's just around the circle in front of your house you know sometimes because we live in a cul-de-sac sometimes it was just going outside and walking around the circle two times mm-hmm. and just getting a little sunshine and and then music playing music and that music was such an important part um not only for me but my mom loved music mm-hmm. she loved music she loved to dance so we would watch dancing with the stars or the voice together and we would clap as if we were in the audience she just loved that and Mm -hmm. then you know if she was having a bad day and we have an alexa in the living room i'd say you know alexa play barbara streisand or alexa play frankie valley and we would get up and i'd pull her up and we'd dance and you know, at Christmas time, we watched White Christmas, and we would get up and dance to that song, Sisters. You know, and mm-hmm. that would just like change the whole day. Just how music, the power of music, could just change. And she, even in memory care, they. I remember one of the memory care caretakers would play like YouTube songs on her on her iPhone, and I'd come in and I'd pull my mom up, and we'd start dancing and. She just came alive, you know. The spark was there again. So I think and I really feel like that about music for myself, you know, if I'm having a hard a hard day or if I'm missing her, playing some music, not not the Barbra Streisand sad music that will remind me of her and I'll cry, but some music that's uplifting. Like the Frankie Valley music, you know, that's that's fun and uplifting and puts a like a, a pep in your walk and and yeah. just you know, get out there and, and walk and, and just pray and sometimes I'd be angry at God and I would just say, you know, this isn't fair, why is this happening? And I would feel better by the time I would get back to the house because mm-hmm. I had I had taken an action. Just taking an action is so important.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, when you mentioned about dancing, too, it's not just the music, it's the touch, as well that is missed and, and a lot of times people don't know how to communicate that even people without dementia you know realize how important a hug is until they don't have one or holding somebody's hand or just sitting next to somebody on the couch without saying a word It's those, so, you know so many of your joys were just little things that we take for granted they weren't big wishes you know or costly things it were just really precious moments when we pay attention and we See a glint in somebody's eye, or we hear a soft um you know giggle you know roll from them, or you know you you can see the clarity in their face for just a few seconds if they've kind of passed that point um you know to me those those were the true gifts that that kept me connected in terms of the care. it was really the those small small things and it taught me to not just for somebody with dementia, but for all people that I needed to look for those things in bigger ways in my whole life.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about the touch. I mean, my husband and I do this, the 22 second hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read somewhere that if you hug somebody for 22 seconds, it kind of changes your, the serotonin or the dopamine. I don't know. It just changes something in your brain. And mm-hmm. so my, that's one of the things that, you know, we would do when I'd he'd hear me, you know, mom and I arguing downstairs, and I'd come upstairs and I'd be trying to get her to take a shower, and she was just awful, and it would just be awful. Mm-hmm. And I'd come up and he'd say, Uh, sounds like it's tough down there. And he'd say, You need a 22 second hug. And I was like, Yes. And, you know, he would count, we'd hug, and he would count the 22 seconds, and he would not let me go. And I'm telling you, it, it, changes something because you feel better and we do that now like if i'm having a hard, you know still i'm having a grief day and i'm having a hard time especially during the holidays you know jimmy would say you need a 22 second hat and it's like okay yeah (laughs) we need to stop and hug each other but one of the things about what i would need needed from my mom when she was in the memory care and once she moved out of here is like when i would go see her at the memory care and i'd go mom you want to go lay down and take a nap (laughs) My thing, one of the favorite things to do, was to get in her bed. She had a double bed, and just get in the bed and spoon with her, and have my my hand, my arms over her waist, and just listen to her breathe. And soon we'd be breathing, you know, the same pattern, and just hold her,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and you know, touch her hair and rub her hair, her shoulders, and just. And I would get, I would feel the love from her, and I know she felt the love for me. And just spooning with my mom—it was just one of the things I really miss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was interesting because all my sisters, we all reacted different. And when we'd visit her, everybody, you know, visited her. Their visits were different. Mine, especially towards the end, I'd go, "You want to go take a nap?" Because I mm-hmm. just needed—I just needed to hold my mom.
0: Yep, yep. No, I I totally get that. I totally, totally get that. I remember um, one gal calling in and or writing me on the blog and saying, you know, her mom um, had dementia and she was caring for her and then she ended up getting, I believe it was cancer and so she had to step back out of her role and then when she came back in um, to really be able to connect with her mom, her mom had really declined and she was just really in the fetal position and she was just crushed and she's like, what do I do? I, you know, I want to, I want to hug her. And I said, well, do that. And she says, oh, my, you know, my family's not huggy. My mom was And then I said, you know, one of the things I hear the most from people is regretting, not being n- not showing affection. And, and I've heard that for years, even when I was in real estate with, uh, and I worked with the senior market, just those conversations would come out. And so I remember I was at a conference and she emailed me back and she was so excited that I started bawling. It can still make me cry now. But she said the connection was so strong. She said it was life changing for her to be able to crawl in her bed and just hug her mom and tell her how much she loved her. And it gave her strength. And her mom reacted to her touch where she hadn't before. And so you know it's it's those little teeny, weeny things that are so critical, and you know we have to stop letting society or others judge us in terms of what works or what doesn't for us um people you know, my mom and I used to have a saying you know when it come then when I'd leave, I'd go, see you later. And she'd go alligator, you know, and people are like, Oh, that's, childish." Aww, I love it. And, and, <laughs> yes. and, you know, and I would just go, don't judge us. This gives her comfort. Oh, absolutely. You know, she, she is back in time, but there's so many people that believe you can't do anything that was done in your childhood. Well, you know what? Wake up. That's a memory. That's oh, a memory.
1: absolutely. And, and, and let, well, you know, it's, um, it's, this past holiday, you know, last year was just we didn't even put up a tree in this house. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my dad had just had knee replacement surgery right before the holidays, and I was getting ready to have surgery at the beginning of January. So my sisters were like, aren't you going to put up the tree? Mom would be so upset and I was like, no, we'll come see your tree. I just could not imagine pulling out my mother's ornaments. But this year we did,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, my mom had all these decorative Santa Clauses. Uh that she had put everybody's name on like she had assigned you know she bought them through the years she go, this one be for peggy this one's for shannon so all of us the the four daughters and their kids all had a santa claus with my mom's handwriting on them so Mm. when we pulled out the christmas decorations i said well everybody needs to get their santa claus so i wrapped all of those santa clauses Mm, and i put them under the tree and so everybody got a Santa Claus this year, um, which was the, the last gift from my mom. Oh, very was, cool. Uh, everybody got it at Christmas. And you would have thought they got diamond rings. They were so yep. excited. you know. And yep. they all were appropriate, whatever the theme of the grand. And my husband and I, um, yeah, he's Irish and I'm Irish, and so we got Mr. and Mrs. Irish Santa Claus. <laughs> uh-huh. And I had put ours up on the shelf when i decorated so of course i didn't get a gift on christmas from my mom because we had already you know had ours up on the shelf and then two days later i was cleaning out this closet because my sister's her my sister shannon's daughter's having a baby and she wanted me to find my dad's christening gown we know it's somewhere but i can't find it i was going through this my little recording closet because there's some boxes in here and going through it and i couldn't find it but i did find a doll that I had, the Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, (laughs) Adam Alexander doll, from when I was 10 years old. Now, my parents have moved four times since I lived in the house where I got this doll. And my mom must have moved it for me. And I never had kids, so for some reason she kept it for me. Mm -hmm. I never had kids to give it to. And so I found it, and I was like, oh, thank you, Mom. You knew I was feeling sorry for myself that I didn't get a gift from Christmas." (laughs) <laughs> I was like, she gave me a gift. It was just like the day after Christmas or two days after Christmas. So I put it, I took the doll out, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Like this is my favorite Christmas present ever as a child. And so I put it on my little shelf here in my little recording studio, and I get to see it, and it gets to remind me of that, you know, that childlike wonder inside of us that as we heal from grief, I think, um, getting in touch with that mm-hmm. again. um, that you can see that, hey, joy came back to us this Christmas. You know, I had a good Christmas this this year. I felt I loved our tree, and I loved looking at the tree and all my mom's ornaments, and I loved being able to wrap up those Santa Clauses. And I felt like I was happy again at Christmas, and I think my mom was happy that I was happy.
0: (laughs) And I will always
1: be grateful for finding, you know, those those Santa Clauses and for finding my doll.
0: <laughs> oh, Well, that's that's just a really uplifting story, you know, to, to end it. I can't believe we only have a couple minutes left on the show. So I want to make sure that we get people your contact information. So your website is lifeinthea-zone.com, lifeinthea-zone.com, or people can uh, email you at peg. Sweeney Donald at gmail dot com. That's Peg Sweeney McDonald at gmail dot com, and then you are also on Instagram at Life in the A Zone podcast, um, and on Facebook as Life in the A Zone, or um, Peg Life in the A Zone, and then also on Twitter Life in the A Zone. So. People have lots of different ways to reach you. Did you want to give a phone number out as well, or do you prefer? Yeah, anything?
1: and the, the Twitter is at Life in the A Z. it is. You it? only I'm have
0: so many little.
1: You only have so many like <laughs> characters. Oh, character. So it's Life yep. in the A Z. And uh, yeah, there's there's another Life in the A Zone on on Facebook. So you have to look for the one that has Life in the A Zone and it has the pic, My little. Um, Picture with my mom is my logo for the show, and and of course the the podcast is on Apple and Google and Spotify and Pandora and iHeartRadio. It's on all the all the regular places and on YouTube. I have some of the mm-hmm. podcast stuff on, on. on My phone number is 310-709-2851 And um, love to connect with anybody who's struggling or or you know um, has something to tell me about their journey and um because, you know, going forward I need to figure out what my format's gonna be for Life in the A Zone podcast because this 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 one episode twenty coming up next week is the episode where my mom passes away and we all were there with her in the room and it's like a slumber party. We all spent the night and and that was the, the last night so I'm getting ready to share that story but i hope to do interviews you know in the in the future and uh, laura you're going to have to come on my podcast and be uh, my guest I'll, and yeah. thank you so much for having me here it's just wonderful and that, thank you for everything you've you've done i just got on dementia maps with the podcast i put all the information on there what and i i really want to check out the memory cafe especially the artist's way memory cafe that sounds mm-hmm. fantastic
0: Well, good. I hope you can join us. And thank you for joining uh, the dementia map. I just, uh, I um, really encourage people to check that out as well. We do need to wrap up here. So again, thank you to all our listeners. And uh, if you need to reach me, just go to Alzheimer's That's kind of our mothership there. There's a big contact button up top. And uh, there's also a big graphic to be able to get to dementia map as well and um, set up a tour, if you want, with with myself um, so I can show you all about the site. Have a wonderful new year, everybody, and um, stay safe, stay healthy, and may many blessings come your way. Bye now.